honestly, how often do we come across a conversation that completely changes our perspective about something that is going to affect us professionally or personally? Well, this is that kind of a conversation. Inspiring, motivating and giving us the kind of perspective we desperately need. Ladies and gentlemen, The One Take Show, a podcast where we celebrate incredible conversations with some fantastic people, brings you this episode in conversation with Mr. Kapil Sankhla. Sir is a managing partner at Sankhla & Associates. In this episode, he talks about his journey with law. He talks about his experience as a first-generation lawyer which I personally believe there is a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience that we can actually learn from. He also shares his opinion on a very burning issue, the transparency and arbitrariness in filing charge sheets. If you like this episode, drop a like, drop me a comment about what you think about this episode, what can be improved and what else I can do with this podcast. Hence, so ladies and gentlemen, let's jump right in. Hello, sir. Welcome to the One Take Show. I am so excited to have this opportunity to talk to you. I think I have followed you on LinkedIn on various platforms because we as law students get this opportunity to learn from the leaders and luminaries who are paving the path and inspiring everyone in the fresh legal sphere to look up to and actually follow your footsteps. And this opportunity is going to enlighten so many law students, so many legal aspirants who are going to tune into this conversation. So I'm truly, truly grateful for this opportunity. Thank you so much for taking time off your really busy schedule and sitting down with me for this conversation. Thank you for having me over. It's an absolute honor to talk to all you youngsters. You know, you guys are the future and I can see how bright the future is with everything that you guys are doing. Thank you for having me over. So the pleasure is all ours. I believe this opportunity needs to be exploited because it will be a crime on my part not to take the full benefit out of this. So before we get into the substantial part of our conversation, I would love to know about your journey. I think we can learn a lot about uh, law. We can learn a lot about litigation. We can learn a lot about this entire industry in total from your experience itself. So what inspired you to do law and what was your experience with law school and perhaps your experience with litigation? Sure. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's very hard to believe that's more than two decades that I've been a lawyer and I've been running a law firm mm-hmm. and we've managed to create the kind of reputation that we have in the litigation and the strategy sphere. As many of you uh, are aware that I, I love to discuss law, you know, and to uh, take on engagements like these to teach law, not just the theory of law, but the practical aspect of law. Uh, you know, I read this somewhere before I talk about, you know, the entire journey and whatever there is. I read this somewhere and that's there in my office. You know, it says, somebody said this, that my job as a lawyer is to digest other people's pain. It okay. tastes bitter, painful, tear-filled, reminiscent mm-hmm. of times past that haven't passed. It's not a job that you want. It's not a job that's worth it. Mm-hmm. But we toil because it just may change the society. Right. I think it's very beautiful because... When I became a lawyer, I had no idea what I want to do, but mm-hmm. I just interacted with some very senior, very bright, brilliant lawyers, uh, Supreme Court, strategy sphere, people who hadn't entered the court, but were strategists in their own right. I think you're aware that I was a part of the Urea scam and a lot of other matters pertaining to that. And so there were some brilliant lawyers from all across India who would come to Delhi during these matters. And the whole idea that I learned from them is that they all wanted to change the society. They were all lawyers who had toiled on the constitutional sphere, on the criminal sphere, also on the writ jurisdiction, etc. And had, mm-hmm. you know, kind of made an endeavor to somehow improve the society or the law as we know now. 
and i think that has been a guiding principle that i've always had to somehow make a difference to somehow uh, you know make a change to somehow create a name and uh, you know somebody once told me that you should be aware why you are in this profession or why you are in the business of law mm-hmm. and would you and, and do you take it as as a profession of law or business of law and that's very important right because right. When, it, when it comes to making money yeah you know there are, there are easier ways of going about it mm-hmm. law is a very very stressful profession it takes a lot from you i mean you know you're reading all the time you're preparing matters you enter the court with the best of you know the strategy is the best of argument and you don't have the court with you mm-hmm. and it hits you and every day it hits you i mean imagine that but you do it for that little victory that you get that one matter that you argue that one bail that you managed to get through that one stay that you managed or that one judgment that would be referred with your name you do it for that isn't it right mm-hmm. so you choose whether you're going for the profession of law which mm-hmm. probably would not bring you so much money but would get you that reputation would let you sleep well at night knowing that you've managed to make some change or you're moving towards making a change or the business of law which is completely different mm-hmm. as a first generation lawyer this is something that i fought with because i understood the profession of law because this is what was taught to me mm-hmm. how i'm supposed to argue prepare read briefs etc judgments fine judgments but nobody really taught us the business of law okay how how do you get the clients how do you manage your clients how do you what do you charge how do you charge right right and that's something that i know for a fact because i interact with so many of you youngsters uh that you know that is something that is not really clear to a lot of young lawyers especially first generation lawyers like me right, right. so that's something that's that's there uh um, mm-hmm. to talk about my journey uh with law is it i have a very checkered past you know i never thought of being a lawyer i was fortunate to get through srcc one of the i think the best colleges in india right and i was foolish enough to kind of leave that jump ship and you know do ihm pusa and i got through ihm pusa which is one of still one of the best for hotel management right. and i worked in the hotel industry i was a barman wow. at tji very proud wow. of that fact <laughs> and on a whim i actually gave exams and i got mm-hmm. through uh, uh, law fac and oh, uh, see and uh, you know and i thought that you know let me just do this let it be a stepping stone for something bigger and better mm-hmm. and uh, it's just that when i went to clc i just realized that it was just like living college all over again and what i did was i joined a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, and i got me transferred from clc to lc1 the best thing that happened to me was this right because for two and a half years i was working with a lawyer in the trial court mm-hmm. nearly as his munshi carrying his files uh, you know hearing him argue discuss the strategies make notes mm-hmm. and and that's something that taught me and and this is very interesting mm-hmm. when i when i joined this senior uh, you know what had happened was that for the first 6 months all he made me do was translate the fir from hindi to english and paginate okay. his files okay and today and you know i'm very sorry to say this you know a lot of youngsters believe that they're entitled and this is darka ka munshi's work and they do not have it hmm. and i right. hated my senior for doing this you know translating the fir and and paginating the file till when i went 
and I was giving my exam, it kind of just hit me that I only knew the structure of how to make a complaint. What are the sections? What are the meaning of most of the sections? And I also knew how a civil trial commences. I mean, the pleading, the written statement, the replication, the applications which are filed. Mm -hmm. It was there automatically because I was just paginating these files every day. Mm-hmm. I was putting post-its, I was tagging them right. and I was translating these FIR. So my criminal law practice, I mean, criminal law was already clear to me okay. when I, when I for my exams and my civil law was kind of clear because I could understand how the matter proceeds. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I would like to teach all you youngsters, you know, never say no to a work, never think that it is beneath you. Right. Right. Coming back. Uh, Nothing ever goes for a waste. So my my stint with SRCC, my stint with IHM Pusa, my working in the hotel, and we used to have something called break shift. Break shift was when you work for 12 or 16 hours a day. Wow. wow. And the okay. fact that I could do that gave me the belief that I could sit and work on a file for eight hours. And I would always believe that right. I've actually, you know, I've, I've done hotel management. Yeah, I've worked for 16 hours. Mm-hmm. I've done a break mm-hmm. and I can do this. All of it that you have done, are doing or will do, will help you in this profession. That's the beauty of this profession. Mm -hmm. Keep hustling, keep doing things. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's all going to make sense eventually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something very important that that I've learned over the years. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think this is so fascinating i have so many follow-up questions to uh, perhaps almost every part of your journey but i will ask you very uh, specifically in a very chronological manner starting from uh, the first fact you've mentioned that you were a first generation lawyer and uh, you've yep. had to experience the struggles that usually all the first generation lawyers have to face we as law students who uh, obviously look to forward to litigation are often intimidated by the fact that litigation is very difficult for first generation lawyers how did you overcome those challenges i mean obviously you talked about your experience as the first hand first jobs that you talk about but were there other such obstacles that you faced and how did you overcome them of course many and i still do i mean if i was a second or a third generation lawyer a lot of things would be set you know my clerks wouldn't run away i would have a stenographer passed down from my father who would know exactly what to type <laughs> you know you're you're at a loss you're like a small dinghy boat in the vast ocean as a litigation lawyer Right. Uh, if, if you're a first generation litigation lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that's my belief. A litigation lawyer, especially a criminal lawyer or a constitutional lawyer, mm-hmm. I believe that we are the last bastions of democracy. Wow. I, I honestly believe that. I believe that we are we are the protector of the realms. If if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you know, you're the night guard. Yes, yes, yes. Because imagine that mm-hmm. if you if there weren't any criminal lawyers. Right. Imagine if there were any litigation lawyers, mm-hmm. you would have the prosecution or the government road rolling over the entire country. You stop them, you question them, you challenge them every day. And that itself right. is amazing. It mm-hmm. doesn't really matter whether you win or lose. The fact is that you question the government, that right. you question the prosecution, that you question the investigating officer. That you stand in the court and you know that there's this client and the entire state machinery is against him, but you're standing tall. Deep mm-hmm. inside, you're scared out of your wits, but you're standing tall. Right? Right, 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 sir. So, you know, if you believe that and if you're proud of the fact that as a litigation lawyer, 
it's not mm-hmm. it's not just about earning your you know daily wages so to say it's it's not about it's not just about you know making enough that i go home with something but the fact that you are somehow protecting democracy that you're protecting liberty that you're protecting humanity mm-hmm. is the higher purpose as yeah. a litigation lawyer right and so it doesn't really matter you know as a first generation lawyer a lot of difficulties i didn't have a chamber i couldn't afford a chamber i used to sit in tisari outside the gold canteen there used to be a tree and mm-hmm. i used to sit under that 20 plus years back it was called scandal point mm-hmm. the strategy was that if you if you arrive if you arrive in in tisari at 9:15 Mm-hmm. you would find that table empty and you could then you know you know set your shop there so to say <laughs> and i'll tell you something really funny and i don't think anybody else knows this mm-hmm. but i would have so that tree was shared by a shoe polish wala and wow. and if, and you know whenever my client would come irrespective mm-hmm. whether he paying me or not that bagar shoe wala would come and take the shoes to polish Wow. And at the end of the day, if I made money or not wasn't important, but the shoe wala would be there for forty-five rupees or fifty rupees for all the shoe polish that he did for my clients. But mm-hmm. but it's amazing. I mean, that journey is amazing. Right. You know, these stories are amazing. And as I said, that you know, it's your you really have to look deep within and 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 ask yourself: mm-hmm. Do you want to be in the business of law? or do you want to be in the profession of law what because trust me in profession of law you may think that you will not earn as much as your colleagues were earning you know in the business of law are also people who probably join companies etc mm-hmm. but i'll tell you a secret and that's a secret that i've realized that if you choose to be in the profession of law mm-hmm. you might not make as much as somebody else that you think who's making but you will always make enough as much as you want perfect it would be delayed but it would never be denied right so that money that somebody else has earned in the profession of law today mm-hmm. you might get it after 3 years but the fact that you're sticking around and you're doing the best you can that you're preparing your brief that you're going to the court day in and day out and fighting the system mm-hmm. your time will come it is inevitable you know that movie right, apna time inevitable <laughs> right sir right i mean i am really scared that this might this might come off as sycophancy but i think this story of yours sounds like premchand ji ka koi afsana and i'm really fan of this uh, the idea here that you had to go through the struggle that you did and still accomplish uh, what you have i think your story from uh, starting off as a first generation lawyer to establishing and now leading uh, sankla and associates is, is itself an inspiration for any uh, fresh legal aspirant or law student who wants to enter into this industry this one thing that i've noticed that you've mentioned is about social relevance and the responsibility of ethics that lawyers need to have especially when it comes to practice of law as against the business of law uh, it reminds me right. of a conversation i've had with uh, dr aditya sondhi and uh, sir said something very similar and i would love to know your opinion on this uh, the issue he highlighted was that in the recent times various law schools especially nlus for Uh, the superior sense of position that they assume which might not be true have now sort of lost their position of relevance when it comes to social responsibility or uh, let's say in very brute words the national law schools are not very inclined towards litigation and taking up the practice of law do you have any opinion on that well that's 
partially right but that's actually painting with a very very wide very very wide brush mm-hmm. uh see every college or most of the colleges have a particular structure mm-hmm. uh their students right so certain colleges for example my college delhi university is a very litigation oriented college right mm-hmm. it's its structure is that they would teach you a section they would teach teach you landmark judgments they would discuss the judgment mm-hmm. so when you pass out you're automatically oriented towards research an argument because that's what you've been doing day in and day out so you become a litigation lawyer mm-hmm. there are certain colleges that teach you more about research and analysis mm-hmm. and those and those colleges those students probably are catering to a certain section or certain facet of law right i will not comment on whether that's right or wrong mm-hmm. because the colleges that you mention are also colleges that usually cater as law researchers to most of the high courts and supreme court right right fact is that it's the structure of education mm-hmm. and to reiterate again litigation is not easy right litigation for first 10 years is extremely difficult right sir and my senior, my senior so when when i started as a lawyer and i would hear my senior and couple of very very great lawyers arguing matters in court mm-hmm. and i would you know i would be fascinated and i asked my senior once i said sir how is it i mean don't you feel any fear or you know whatever i mean don't you feel anything in your heart when you're arguing a matter he said you know after 10 years couple mm-hmm. you would also be in a stage where you are disconnected with the matter right and i thought that was brilliant and 20 years plus when i'm god's been extremely kind we've done some brilliant matters and you 390 million dollar uh, arbitration to uh, handling work for home ministers and chief ministers in uh, petroleum disputes aviation disputes i've been lead counsel in a lot of matters i am engaged in a lot of matters but the fact is that 20 plus years when i'm standing in the court i have five openings mm-hmm. five different strategies and i'm wondering what am i supposed to start my argument with and i shared this with another senior lawyer Mm-hmm. a wonderful lawyer in our high court and i was telling him and i said you know i still feel scared and i think my senior was wrong or there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. and he said that couple when i start my argument my heart is sinking okay wow because i so desperately want to ensure that my client gets relief mm-hmm. and that couple is called empathy and the day you lose empathy you will lose out on being a human being so it's fine I think it's it's good that you still still feel that emotion mm-hmm. for your client and for your brief. Right. And that's something that I really wanted to share with you youngsters because I'm sure you like me, many of you like me would also feel that and would wonder why is it that we feel scared or you know lost or whatever. Mhm. And we're standing in the court on that dais and about to start our argument. Right. And there's another thing that somebody once told me. Yeah. he he wants told me and that's something that you know i believe now with the kind of matters that we've done mm-hmm. that it's better to do one big matter than to do 100 small matters to learn the law which is absolutely true because right. when you're doing this huge gigantic matter you you're preparing on so many facets you know that the judge would ask you a question from any angle and so you're prepared right so you know he said that it's better to do one big matter than 100 small matters but he also said this that you better do well those 100 small matters that mm-hmm. you have so that you're able to do that one big one matter. big matter right 
Yeah, and I don't think anybody could have put this better. Mm-hmm. So think differently, be focused, stick around. That's it. Right, sir. Although I think these uh, three words that you've just pointed out are the holy grail that every law student and legal aspirant should uh, go ahead with, grow up with, and actually live up to. But uh, I would still ask you this question because I think a lot of my listeners would really need to listen to this. Is that from starting professor, first generation lawyer to now leading uh, Sakla and Associates? You, if you had to look back in time and you had to advise yourself. uh when it comes to starting off in litigation what different perspectives would you now provide your younger self or what sort of different ideas or suggestions would you give to young lawyers who are entering the industry now oh that's a good question actually thank you if i had to advise myself would be this when i started as a lawyer i was scared to ask fees mm-hmm. i knew that i'm going to you know work my butt off so to say but i was always scared to ask fees i just didn't know what the right fees is and i would always underquote mm-hmm. and i had a i had a lawyer who subsequently became a judge he had come to my house dinner and he asked me how much do you charge and i said i think those days i said something to the effect of 15000 and i was mm-hmm. no 25000 and i was charging much less than that and he said that tomorrow when you go and there's a new client that comes you charge 1 and 1/2 lakh and i said they'll run away with you see right Right, and he said this. He will go away, but then he talks about you. He will always say that there is a lawyer who charges one and a half. Okay, so you might you might not get six matters or seven matters, but the eighth or ninth matter who comes, the judge, lawyer who comes, uh, mm-hmm. client who comes, is going to pay you that amount. And it is right. better to do lesser matters and work very very hard mm-hmm. in those matters than to have a factory syndrome that most of the lower court lawyers have. Okay. So if I had to, I would say this: uh, don't say no to a case, which we still don't. But be mm-hmm. very clear about your fees. You know your worth, mm-hmm. because it is better that you do not do a matter than to do a matter and be unhappy about it. Right. Right. And secondly, it is better to be paid your worth and you justify it, because then. you can go and buy those books that you wanted buy those softwares that you want right you know you're able to sit for two more hours in the library knowing that you don't have to rush to another matter here let let me make this money because i need this money mm-hmm. that's one second if i had to so i was always very confident i mean that's there you know mm-hmm. so i can't really tell myself that be more confident because then that would be arrogance but <laughs> what i would probably tell myself and something that i have realized much later is learn to collaborate okay all right to trust another lawyer and bring him on 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 board mm-hmm. and what i did not do when i was young was never briefed seniors okay i didn't brief seniors because i was already arguing as i told you because of the unique history that i had i was already arguing matters when i passed out i was already arguing matters Mm-hmm. So you know, I didn't really have to brief seniors, but I realized much later that it's also great to go and brief a senior mm-hmm. who you trust, because when you're briefing a senior, you learn certain strategies. Right, and that's right. something, something that experience is going to teach you much later. Mm-hmm. Right, and and uh, one more thing, if if I could, and I did that, so. that's something that i've noticed about youngsters now 
Mm-hmm. You know, the problem with youngsters usually now is what I see is that they want to work in a firm or with a lawyer for one year and then jump ship and work with somebody else. They're actually thinking that they they they're enjoying different flavors. Okay. Now, law is not like that. Right. In the first year, no senior is going to trust you, right? He's not going to give you juicy matters. He's not going to say, "Go argue." It's all right. I trust you. Clients are not going to trust you. Right. It starts happening in the second year or the third year. I stuck around for around five, six years, mm-hmm. and that gave me the benefit of being able to handle an entire wing for my senior. Right. Where those those clients would say that we are ready to pay for Mr. Sankla's presence when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But that only happened because my senior started trusting me, and that would only happen with time. So if you don't think of jumping ship after one year, stick around. Okay. Because when you do, the senior is going to trust you. Then he's going to also trust you with the tricks and trades, and the secret sauces that help him. Then you belong to that stable, and when you belong to that stable, you you imbibe his style. Mm-hmm. You imbibe his strategy on reading and brief and preparing your matters. Perfect. Perfect. That's it. I think yeah. this this uh, part of our conversation is the bible for every first generation lawyer to look up to and actually follow word by word uh, the fact that we as law students who intern often have difficult time with the reading files understanding the writs and going through the matters researching filing and everything that our seniors give us as uh, some sort of job we often feel okay this is probably mundane we can do better we can do better we can go to a law, law firm and do better i think that mindset needs to change and perhaps uh engaging the work so that we can learn from it can actually add a lot of value to our own perspectives i think this conversation will really help a lot of law students this now allows me to move towards the substantial part of our conversation which i'm really excited about in our last conversation uh, you mentioned that there uh, there is an issue that is uh, some that is in your mind that you're thinking about and uh, there's an issue that needs to be talked about the issue of transparency the issue of when we talk about arbitrariness when it comes to charge sheet filing when it comes to investigations and the issue of fair disclosure so i won't take uh, much of this space i think it would be uh, brilliant to for any law student to learn this directly from you so uh, could you please conceptually let us know what exactly is the uh, is the idea here that you are propounding All right. We've been blessed that we have managed to change certain laws over the years. We were in the forefront in the changing the juvenile age, etc. Mm-hmm. Now this is another thing that that irking me on the criminal side. Many of you know uh, the whole process of criminal law. You know that once the investigation is over, the investigating officer files a report before the court, and that's the entire part of his investigation. Uh, you know that is be as it may. the witnesses the documents uh, fsl mm-hmm. report whatever there is and the court goes through that police report to right. come up to to frame charge mm-hmm. so that's the first time the court applies its mind mm-hmm. to the case at hand and would either discharge the accused or charge the accused and then the entire trial process starts mm-hmm. Now imagine this that there is the entire state machine we are talking about you know there are like millions and millions of cases and the judiciary is extremely burdened right the interesting part is a lot of people ask this question why do most of the accused 
eventually are acquitted is there something wrong with our judicial system or you know or is it because of corruption or because the witnesses do not stand scrutiny or whatever mm-hmm. the difficulty here is the difficulty here is that the invest that the law mandates that the investigating officer will file that report which is called the charge sheet under 173 Mm-hmm. as per his whims and fancies okay he he is not duty bound to file everything that is disclosed or that comes to his notice so right. if for example during the course of investigation he is able to find out that the uh, that there is certain evidence that shows that this particular person is has been wrongly implicated or that there is something that kind of waters down the case against the mm-hmm. accused he is not duty bound to disclose it okay imagine this the entire state machinery is going to pay, file a police report the judge is going to apply his mind for the first time on it eventually it is on the accused to find out what is in his favor bring it in defense evidence and then secure uh, an acquittal that's mm-hmm. that's such a waste of of our funds of government machinery of judicial process mm-hmm. internationally it is called the law fair disclosure Right. where whatever has been found out by the investigating officer shall be disclosed to the accused right and and i think that is very fair and that sh- that would prove that would show that we too are a developed country that our judicial system our investigative system our, our prosecution is developed and that we respect not only the court's time but also human life and we are not a we are not into persecution but we are into fair prosecution right right so that is something that i am fighting for and i wish and i hope that num- the number of you that you're listening to this would mm-hmm. also you know kind of talk about this discuss this bring it to fore make a change right so i think this is a very fascinating idea uh before i move on to other part i think i just have one follow up question to this uh reading up a little bit about this gave me a little bit idea as to how uh the filing of charge sheet and how uh this entire process could be detrimental to the basic concepts of justice fairness good conscience and we talk about the disclosure of uh, the various documents per se if i may say documents uh there's yeah. one issue that comes here is that the documents which are being used by the prosecution as against all the documents or the evidences that are available or have been acquired by the investigating officer uh, the said accused person for their own defense might only get the documents which are being used by the prosecution perhaps not all the documents which are in the collection is that true and uh, does that also signal us in the direction that you have previously talked about this is absolutely right so the so the iu is not bound to disclose all the documents or evidences within but is only bound to file those documents and evidences that they rely upon okay and i think mm-hmm. that unfairness of it all and that is something that needs to to be changed right right sir and my only last question in this is we understand it is unfair but from a jurisprudence point of view uh, when we say that indian judicial uh, history we have seen an evolution when it comes to criminal law with respect to these effects how big of a problem is it that we as law students should engage into how detrimental is this that for about 70 75 years or 76 years there hasn't been any development of such magnitude which could have already solved this problem the reason why this problem actually persists even today so how big of a problem is this really for our indian judicial system so there are two parts of this mm-hmm. one uh unfortunately we as indians believe in knee jerk reaction okay so so 
when the Delhi bus rape happened, mm-hmm. our uh, laws were changed pertaining to rape system mm-hmm. was overhauled. When X happened, we again changed the laws. Right. Now we of course have the Dr. Ranveer Singh committee mm-hmm. talking about overhauling the criminal system, law system. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that we have a very myopic view and that myopic view comes from the fact that the people who talk about changing the law are usually the theorists and not the practical lawyers and legal luminaries. Right. So the theory of law would say that mm-hmm. an accused gets acquitted because he manages to win over the witnesses and okay. and and because they turn hostile okay. what they do not what they do not see is that the investigating officer could have trumped up those those charges would have mm-hmm. brought uh, witnesses that were actually not there would have created evidence mm-hmm. either in his haste to mm-hmm. to file the charge sheet because it has to be filed within 60 days or 90 days Right. or because he was lazy or because he had colluded with somebody or for whatever reason mm-hmm. and so if the charge sheet is bad if if a witness that does not exist and a witness is created mm-hmm. then during cross examination he will break right if there is if there is unimpeachable evidence in favor of the accused that he wasn't there at that spot at that time mm-hmm. and the iu that hasn't filed it Mm-hmm. then the accused will file it do it during defense evidence right so that's the first part the second part of it is it is it is an issue that requires introspection because mm-hmm. our judicial system is slow right. as fast as it wants to be it cannot because of the sheer magnitude of matters mm-hmm. we have brilliant judges but what do you do when they have 75 78 matters 80 matters a day to take care of Mm-hmm. Imagine that the poor judge is sitting from ten o'clock till four o'clock, has to decide eighty matters or seventy matters. Mm-hmm. Now, if the onus is put on the investigating officer that he will give fair disclosure, I right. think at least one third of those matters would not be filed, mm-hmm. or they would be discharged during pre-trial stage. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. one, you help the entire system. second second you're making the investigating officer responsible right no false cases no fabricated cases no trumped up charges mm-hmm. thirdly you're respecting human life right you don't have people fighting for 10 years 12 years only to eventually come out and say you know i've been acquitted mm-hmm. five it's our resources it's your and my taxes right that's what feeding the investigating officer and the entire mechanism of investigation Mm-hmm. You're making the system responsible, and I think it's high time we do that. Right. Perfect. Yep. Yes, yes. Sir. I think. Oh my God, this has, this opens. Uh, I think I have realized that there is an entire area of research that I now need to read up uh, into and perhaps learn more about, so that I can also form such opinions and understand uh, in depth about exactly what is the situation and perhaps contribute in later stages of my career. And so do all the law students and every legal aspirant. Thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful conversation, sir. Do you have any closing remarks for our uh, listeners? not at all as i said that i'm extremely fascinated i'm honored to be here and it's actually a pleasure meeting all you youngsters who are doing so phenomenally well 
using this time never doubt yourself stick around keep doing what you guys are doing as i said your time is going to come so that's that thank you for having me over absolute pleasure thank you so much so i think this has been this has been an absolute honor for me uh, we would love to live up to every expectation every milestone every pedestal that has been set for us thank you so much for this opportunity thank you for your time Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for this amazing conversation. The One Take Show is now available on 10 platforms. If you want to watch this conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The One Take Show. Please consider rating this podcast if you use Apple Podcasts so that I can reach out to more and more people. If you have any suggestions and feedbacks, make sure you reach out to me. I would absolutely love that. And ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves. Stay strong. I'll see you next time.